All right, good morning. I'm excited to start a new series uh, today. We just finished a series on biblical themes and uh, hope that some of that stuck because we're going to sort of, this is going to overlap some with what we talked about in the last few weeks uh, about this common themes that run from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we're going to talk about how to spot the lies that um, we're tempted to believe that will misguide us when it comes to how we understand God and ourselves and human nature and what we're here for. So we're going to start with a, a spot the lie game. Let's see if you guys are good at this. And, and, and if you pass the test, maybe, maybe we'll just call it for the day. You can be done. So uh, no pressure. That's not true, actually. So uh, I'm going to give you three statements about, uh, about Indiana, and you're going to tell me uh, which one is false, okay? Two of them are true. One is false. Here we go. A, uh, Elvis Presley's last concert was played in Indiana. Uh, oh, hang on. Uh, B, the Indiana State Capitol was originally in Strawtown. And uh, C, the first professional baseball game took place in Indiana. Okay, which one is false? Let's hear it. Oh, we have, we have some disagreement. That's great. I was hoping for that. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> in order to spot the lie, it helps to know the truth. If, if you already came in this morning knowing the truth about where Elvis Presley's last concert was played, you would know if A is true or not. And it is, in fact, true. Indianapolis was his last concert. Um, also, if uh, you knew the history of professional baseball really well, you would know that the first professional baseball game was played in Fort Wayne, Indiana, right? And also, if you knew the history of Indiana and you knew where the original capital was, then you would know that B, it was not Strawtown right? It was in Corridon, right? You guys remember that? Some of you were there. I mean, you saw it. Just kidding. That's, that's a bad, bad joke uh, that I am too old to tell anymore. So. <clears throat> so knowing the truth helps us spot the lie. If you know the truths of all of those statements, then you can tell which one is false, right? That's kind of what we're going to jump into in this series is how, uh, man, we have an enemy, that wants to disrupt the things of God. So specifically the enemy, Satan, his goal is for God to not get the glory that God deserves. Human beings are created in the image of God and when we live out the image of God, it gives glory to God. And so Satan wants us not to live out the image of God in our lives, therefore preventing God from getting the glory he deserves. And Satan's most powerful weapon is the lie. And he uses it really well. He uses it really well. In fact, he uses it so well. Most of us don't know when we're being lied to because he's so good at it. And because we're also a little arrogant when it comes to this, we think that we're pretty good at, at knowing truth from lie. And so we believe, if I believe something, it's probably true because I'm a really smart person. And if you lie to me, I'll know it. And what, what we forget is that Satan is pretty smart and he's been at this for a long, long time. And he's got it down. Some of the most basic lies that he tells, he's been telling for centuries. So our goal in this series is to learn to spot the lies of the enemy, uh, to stand on the truth of God's word and live, live, by, live by the truth. So we're gonna, we're gonna tackle some pretty, pretty basic questions about like who God is and who, who we are as humans and what we're created for in this series. These seems like really basic questions that all of us, we should already know all the answers to. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been doing this for a long time, uh, we, 
we feel pretty confident in our understanding of who God is and, and what, what's human nature and what, how do we know what's true? How do we know right from wrong? We probably feel pretty confident in our answers. But it's when we're confident that the enemy sees a weak spot and comes after us and is able to trip us up in our confidence. Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, wrote this. Uh, it really sticks with me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You agree with that? I don't know. I don't know. We, we could debate. We could debate that there are other things that are maybe more important, but I think it's, it's really helpful for us to think as though this is true. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Essentially, what he's saying is the kind of God that you believe in or don't believe in. Let's say you don't believe in God. The kind of God you've chosen not to believe in or the kind of God that you have chosen to believe in will dictate how you live your life. So what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Therefore, where do you think the enemy is going to attack us? He's gonna try to trick us and deceive us and lie to us about who God really is. So it's important that we know the truth about who God is so that we can spot the lies, right? So um, we're, that's what we're gonna talk about. First, we're gonna talk about who God isn't, who God isn't. And, and for our purposes today, I created a fictional character. Uh, his name is Lyle. And uh, Lyle's not a real person. So any, any association with a real person is completely accidental. What do they say in movies and books like, any, any reference to real people is not intended. Um, but you know Lyle, and I know Lyle, because we're Lyle sometimes, and we know this person is, is normal, right? So uh, Lyle is going to kind of help us as we walk through his life, understand how Satan tries to deceive us, and um, how sometimes we fall for that. So Lyle is 30 years old. He was raised by Christian parents um, who took him to church faithfully twice a month, except during travel baseball season when they would miss probably uh, saw three months in a row. His mom would pray for him sometimes when he was sick. Uh, one time uh, when he was uh, in middle school, his dad went to a men's conference and came back really fired up about family devotions, which lasted about two weeks. Um, after college, uh, Lyle got uh, really serious about dating. He met somebody and, uh, and fell in love with a, a wonderful girl named Lainey. Also right about this time, his parents separated uh, and then ultimately divorced. Lyle had a conversation with his mom during this whole process uh, in which he asked her, mom, is this, is this really right? Do you think this is right? And her response to him was, well, son, don't you want me to be happy? What was he gonna say to that? So Lyle is, I mean, he's fallen uh, deeply in love with Lainey. Uh, they're, they're just in a great, great place in their relationship. They decide to move in together. So Lyle's dad uh, gives him a call when he finds out about this and he says, hey, son, do you, do you, think, this is, do you think this is right? And something inside Lyle kind of knows, maybe this is out of order. Maybe, maybe God kind of wants him to get married first, but his response to his dad is, well, well dad, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I think Lyle has stumbled upon one of the greatest lies that the enemy uses to deceive us about who God is, and that is that God just wants me to be happy. And this is a brilliant lie because it contains an element of truth. All good lies have a little bit of truth in them. That, that's how they trip us up. The scripture is filled with 
the promises of God where God intends to bless us. That sounds like he cares about our happiness, right? God wants uh, abundant life. Isn't that what Jesus says? John 10, 10, I've come that you may have abundant life. We think, well, well God, wants, God wants us to be happy. But, but the really clever part of this lie is, is that it makes it sound like that's really all God cares about is, is our personal happiness. Therefore, the way we interpret this, the way Lyle interprets this in his life is if, if God just wants me to be happy, then I have permission from God to do whatever I think will make me happy, right? Now you're starting to see where this might be a problem. I have permission from God to do whatever I think will make me happy. Man, that's a good lie, isn't it? And, and, and that, that's just a reminder that the enemy's really good at this. Uh, he, he knows uh, exactly where to attack us and how to get at us when it comes to what we believe about God. Uh, because really what that lie says is, I want to avoid any consequences of bad decisions. Like, I want permission from God to do whatever makes me happy. And if I happen to go wrong, if I happen to guess wrong about what's going to make me happy, then I, I don't want to have any consequences. Because God loves me, wants me to be happy, therefore he'll remove the consequences. Consequences don't make you happy, do they? Whenever you experience the consequences of a bad decision, are you happy in that moment? No. Well, God, if God wants me to be happy, then I get to do kind of what I think will make me happy and I don't have to pay the consequences. Do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like an overindulgent grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who uh, is, is wanting so desperately to be loved by their three-year-old grandchild that they never say no, right? Never say no, what, whatever you want. How, how often are three-year-olds gonna choose what's best for them? Not very often. But grandparents who wanna be loved, when they say no, the child is not happy, right? And, and if they're gonna love me, that means I have to make them happy all the time or they won't, they won't love me. This is why grandparents have this approach and parents don't because parents have to live with this kid. And you know, like, I'm gonna pay the consequences of saying yes, 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 yes. So what we've done when we buy in, when Lyle buys into this lie that all God really cares about is my happiness, I have permission from him, this, this is a false God. It's not the real God. And the way that we would describe this false God is he's indulgent and insecure. I, I, I wouldn't even like a God like that, would you? When you see someone spoiling a child like that, saying yes, 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 to things that they should be saying no, no, no to, how does that make you think about that person? You, you, don't, you don't automatically respect them and go, man, that's just great grandparenting right there. Like that's, that's the way to raise a kid. It takes a village and we need those people too, right? Who are gonna say yes to everything. No, when, when we see that overindulgent and that, that sort of insecure, like I'm scared to say no because they may not like me, so I have to say yes, we don't respect that. So why would we, why would we want a God who's like that? That just, that just is gonna bless whatever we think is gonna make us happy. And then if we, if we happen to guess wrong, he'll remove the consequences because consequences are not fun and they don't make us happy. Well, that's a false God. And friends, that's good news. That's good news that God, that, that God cares about more than just making me happy. 
But, but that's one of the lies that the enemy uses, and I think that trips us up a lot, certainly got Lyle, right? And there's a flip side to this lie. There's another side to this coin, and we're gonna find this. This is one of the oldest lies uh, in human history because it, it comes from Genesis chapter three. So let's, let's dive in right there. You guys know as we went through the biblical theme series, we started in Genesis like almost, I think pretty much every week because Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's where everything sort of starts. And we learned so much about who God is and how God interacts with human beings in these first three, three chapters that uh, it's, it's really powerful. So here's, here's what God does. He, he creates Adam and Eve. He gives them everything they could possibly want. Like all of their needs are provided. They have a good life. They have a good purpose. They're partners with God in helping creation flourish and thrive. And he says, guys, the only way you could possibly screw this up, like this is your life. This is your life forever. The only way you could screw this up is to eat the fruit from this one tree. Like, if you, don't, if you don't eat the fruit from this tree, man, this is gonna be your life forever. The only way you can screw it up is to eat the fruit from this one tree. So that's the rule that they have, right? So Genesis chapter three, uh, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. You can start to hear the music change, right? If, you're, if this is a movie, it's like, dun, dun, dun. Like, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, he starts off with something that's kind of an obvious lie. I mean, obviously, this is not going to get Eve. She knows that God didn't say they couldn't eat from any tree. That's ridiculous. They'd starve to death, right? So, of course, God didn't say that. But what he's doing is he's planting this little seed of doubt that maybe, maybe God is not as good as you think he is. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, you must not touch it or you will die. Now, Eve kind of added that part that you must not touch it part. That wasn't in the original command. But this is her interpretation. Like, we're supposed to stay far away from that fruit, um, not even touch it, because God said that that will lead to death. Verse four, the enemy says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, do you see what he's doing here? You will not certainly die. So now, who's, who's the liar? He's saying God's the liar. God, God is not telling you the truth. God is saying that you're gonna die. I'm telling you that's not actually gonna happen. God's not lying. God, God is lying to you. So what does he have to hide? What is, God, what is God hiding? Why would he lie to you about dying if you, if you eat the fruit? This is, this is planting questions in Eve's mind. Because God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. So the message here is God, God lied to you about dying because he wants to hold on to the power of knowing good and evil for himself. He doesn't want you to have this. This would be a good thing for you. I mean, why should God be the only one who can decide what's right and wrong? Doesn't it seem like you would be happier if you had the knowledge of what's right and wrong for yourself so that you don't need God to tell you what's right and wrong, you can decide for yourself. Therefore, you have the, the knowledge which gives you the power and authority to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. Wouldn't that make you happy? Eve is like, well, you know, yeah, it would. And it, and it seems like God is holding back. Like he's, he, he told us this whole story about dying if we, if we eat the fruit. What if that's not true? What if God is holding out on us? He just wants this power for himself to know, to know good from bad. Why would God lie to us? And this is the flip side to the lie that Lyle believed, that God just wants me to be happy. And Eve 
starts to question whether God cares about her happiness at all. Maybe all God cares about is his rules, right? Maybe, maybe all God cares about is, is I'm gonna make up these arbitrary rules and you have to follow them. And if you follow them, then I'll, I'll be nice to you. And if you break them, then I'll, I'll, I'm gonna be pretty mad and bad things are gonna happen to you. And so Eve, Eve starts to buy into this lie that God doesn't care about my happiness at all. Like he's, he, this, is the, this is the opposite. It sounds like the opposite of Lyle's, but it's based on the same truth. God doesn't care about my happiness. Therefore, if I am going to be happy, I'm gonna have to do it myself. Like I am gonna have to be the one to decide right from wrong for myself. Otherwise, I mean, God's way is not gonna lead to happiness because all he cares about is rules. The rules don't make me happy. If I wanna be happy, I, I gotta figure this out for myself. So, We've got, we've got two different lies here. And this could trip Lyle up too. Lyle could flip the switch on this one and go, go from one side to the other really quick. If someone comes along and tells Lyle, hey, by the way, um, God sort of, uh, he sort of established this, this pattern for human sexuality and it, and, and it kind of follows an order. And there, there's kind of some, some boundaries to, to the way we're supposed to experience human sexuality. And you've, you've gotten things out of order uh, from, from God's order and you need to do things in the right order. Well, Lyle might come to believe, well, well, maybe, maybe that, that doesn't sound like what I want. Maybe, maybe God doesn't care about my happiness. Maybe he just wants me to follow the rules. That's all he cares about. Even if following the rules makes me unhappy. So it's really easy to switch from one to the other. And, and this lie that God doesn't care about my happiness, sort of, it's a false God. And it, and it paints the picture of a God that is selfish and controlling. Selfish and controlling. All he cares about, and we've met, we've met these kind of people, the people that get a little bit of power and it goes to their heads and now everyone has to do everything their way or they're mad. Well, that, that's, not, that's not the God we wanna serve. Th- here's the good news. That's, that's not who God is. That's a false God. So if, if that's the God you, you thought was out there, guess what? Here's good news. That's not, that's not God at all. So what is the truth about God? If we're gonna be able to spot these lies when they creep into our own lives, when, we, when, when what we want, what we think is gonna make us happy bumps into, into conflict with, with what God has said, then, then we're gonna be tempted to believe a lie about God. And so it's really important that we know the truth. So let's, let's read some scripture that talks about the truth about who God is. This is from Exodus chapter 34. This is God describing himself to Moses. Exodus 34, verse six. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Some of that description we really like. Oh, God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and he forgives sin and wickedness and rebellion. But this kind of punishing people, we don't really like that part, you know, when it's us who are guilty, but we really like that part when we see evil people hurting others in the world and we kind of go, well, somebody should do something about that, right? This is who God is. He's gracious and compassionate. He's forgiving. And yet he does not remove the consequences for our sin. And what he's talking about is generational sin that parents pass on to their kids because they, they, they don't teach them the truth and what's right. And those generational sins that just keep getting passed on, God said, that, that's a consequence. And I'm not gonna take that consequence away, right? 
In Romans chapter 11, Paul kind of uh, writes uh, sort of this poem about God. Here, here's what uh, Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three: 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. This is sort of an echo of something Isaiah writes about God's ways being higher than our ways, right? Paul says, God, guys, we have to understand how, how smart God is compared to us, you know? We think we're pretty smart, and this will, this will get us in trouble. In fact, this will get us in a lot of trouble is, is thinking that we're pretty smart, and, and, and Satan, Satan's, you know, he's kind of this caricature, this little red guy with horns and a pitchfork. Man, that, that's, that, that cartoon character can't get anything over on us. We're smarter than that. And this will trip us up. Sometimes we think that we're smarter than God. Like, God, I know God said that we should do it this way, but I think I have a better plan right? We never grow out of that 17-year-old. Sorry, I have a 17-year-old at home. We never go out of that 17-year-old questioning of the parent going, you know, I know that you think this is the best way, but I'm actually pretty sharp and I think I've found a different way that's probably better. We do that to God all the time. And Paul's going, guys, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to think that you could know more than God about anything. So what, let me, let's just summarize. Who, who is God really from these passages and from many others that God is good, wise, and just? God is good, wise, and just. In his goodness, God wants what is best for us because he loves us and he's good. In his wisdom, he knows what is best for us because he knows all things. And in his justice, he does what is best for us. God is good and wise and just. He knows what's best for us he wants what's best for us, and that's what he does. He acts toward what is best for us. So what is, what is best for us? What, what has God decided is best for us? I believe what God really wants for us, that kind of comes before happiness, is freedom. I think God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. The problem is we've been lied to about what freedom and slavery really look like. We think freedom is I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, as long as I want. That sounds like freedom to us. But scriptures would call that slavery because our choices then are gonna be dictated by our appetites, by our fleshly desires. When Lyle was two years old, his parents couldn't leave him alone with a bowl of Halloween candy. Why? What is he gonna do? Man, he's just gonna eat candy until he gets sick, right? Because that's what his body wants. Candy's delicious. And when you're two, there's no reason to stop eating as long as it's good. And you keep eating and eating and eating and then you get sick. So his parents, his parents couldn't leave him alone with that because at two years old, he did not have the ability to say no. He did, he, he's not, his two-year-old brain is not going, man, I would love to eat all this candy, but I think, I think I'll stop at two pieces. That sounds like the right amount. I'm just gonna eat two pieces, and then I'm gonna move on and do something else with my day, you know, and be productive rather than sit here and eat candy till I get sick. Like his two-year-old brain is not gonna do that. He's actually incapable, incapable of controlling himself, his physical desire for this candy. He's incapable of controlling himself. Therefore, is, is he free? Even though if they left him alone, he could eat all the candy, right? That sounds like freedom. Actually, he's a slave to his appetite. He cannot do anything else but eat the candy. This is, this is what we, we do when we say, I couldn't help it. 
Now, the goal is to grow out of this. Children say this a lot. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. Yeah, I, I did punch that kid in the nose, but I couldn't help it. He was being a jerk, right? Yes, I ate 12 Oreos before dinner, but I couldn't help it. I just love Oreos. I couldn't help it. And I couldn't help it is, is basically a confession that I am a slave to my appetites. I'm a slave to my physical desires. I'm a slave to my emotions. If I'm angry, I, I have to punch. I'm a slave to my emotions. Doesn't sound like a good way to live, does it? What God wants is for us to be free to choose what's best, even if it creates temporary unhappiness. Because sometimes choosing what's best creates temporary unhappiness, doesn't it? That's what God wants us to be free from our fleshly desires to do what's best. And this is what Jesus talks about in John chapter eight. Uh, he's talking to uh, these people who grew up just like with kind of a, a, a rules God. This is what Jesus said. He said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is one of the most quoted lines um, by people who don't know the Bible at all. People really like this line. I mean, I mean, it sounds good. The truth will set you free. Man, that's just true no matter when you say it or where you say it, however you say it, that's just true. But what is Jesus talking about here? He said, if you abide in my word, that means if you obey me, we're gonna start with obedience. If you obey me, then you'll know the truth. You know the truth about what's best for you. And when you know the truth about what's best for you, you are free to live by that truth. You're free to actually do what's best, even if it creates temporary unhappiness. Paul kind of touches on this from a different angle in Galatians chapter five. The book of Galatians is sort of a whole argument about circumcision, whether, whether Gentiles have to be circumcised to become Christians or not, right? And so there's this group of people that, that kind of grew up with, all God really cares about is the rules, right? This, this, was, this was kind of the lie that, that Eve fell into. All God cares about is the rules, so if we want God to be happy, we have to follow the rules and we have to just sacrifice our own happiness. We're never gonna be happy. Let's just get used to it. We're just gonna obey and, and be miserable, right? That, that was kind of the, the mindset of some of these Jews. And here's what Paul says to them. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Slavery, uh, the yoke of slavery he's talking about is a saying that, well, all God cares about is following the rules. So I'm, I'm, just, gonna, I'm just gonna follow the rules and and. If I do good enough at following the rules, God will be happy with me. And, and if I break his rules, he'll be mad at me. Paul says, no, you're, God, Jesus died so you would be free. Not, not free to disregard the rules, but free to know that you're loved even when you break the rules. In verse 13 of the same chapter, Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So Paul is saying, yes, you're, you're free from this legalistic view that all that matters is following the rules. You're free from that, but that freedom doesn't mean you just do whatever you want because you know the truth, right? You're Jesus followers. You're obeying the words of Jesus, which reveal to you the truth about what's best for you, and you're free to actually do it. That's, that's what Paul wanted people to buy into. And he uses that kind of language in many of his other letters. He wants them to buy into this idea that because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have the ability to choose what's best even when it creates temporary unhappiness. So what's true about God? If he is good 
and wise and just, then I can trust him. I can trust him. I know his way is best. If God is really good and wise and just, I can trust that his way is what's best. So whenever what I want or what I think will make me happy comes into conflict with what God has said, I trust that God's way is best. Why? He's so wise. He's so much smarter than me. And he loves me. He's good. He cares about me. And he's just. He's not going to just remove the consequences of my bad choices. Right? That's, that's what the truth, standing on the truth, does for us. See, the way that Lyle thinks about sin, if we go back to Lyle for a minute, the way he thinks about sin is going to reveal a lot about what kind of God he believes in. If sin is not a big deal, like it's just, oh, everybody sins, we're only human, we're going to mess up a lot. So we might as well just embrace it because God loves us anyway and he just wants us to be happy. And in our pursuit of happiness, we're going to screw up, we're going to make a lot of mistakes, we're going to guess wrong about what's really going to make us happy. It really doesn't matter that much because God loves us. We have permission from him to kind of do what he wants. Or if Lyle flips to the other side, man, all God really cares about is the rules, and, and if I follow the rules, he'll be happy with me. And if I break the rules, he'll be mad at me. And so I'm, I'm either gonna embrace that and become a very legalistic rule follower, miserable person, or I'm gonna reject that and say, I don't want anything to do with a God who doesn't care about my happiness. I'm gonna go find happiness on my own. So how, how Lyle thinks about sin is gonna reveal a lot about, about how he actually behaves and what kind of God he really believes in. So what we want for him is whenever he comes into conflict, Whenever his desires come into conflict with God's way, he trusts that God knows what's best. So here, here's what I'd like for us to do. I, I think as we close, I just want us to think about the opportunities that we have, the moments we have when, when what we think is going to make us happy seem to come into conflict with what God has said. Can you think of any ideas like that? I mean, we can start with some really simple things like, you know, our, our physical health. God, you know, God wants us to take care of our bodies. We talked earlier about how our bodies and our spirits are, are, are united and, and it matters how we treat our bodies. Therefore, even though you, you, you set a box of Oreos in front of me and you say, you know, knock yourself out, eat all you want. You guys know I love Oreos. Am I free to say no? Or am I free to say two instead of 12? When what I want comes into conflict with what's best, do I trust that God's way is best? But we can make this more serious. There, there are moments when um, if you tell the truth to your boss, to your school teacher, to the IRS, it will cost you if you tell the truth. You could probably lie and get away with it. And what you want to do is get away with it. You think, man, what would really make me happy is if I didn't pay this much taxes, I paid this much taxes. And what I want comes into conflict with what God says is best, which is just be honest, tell the truth. And we can all think of examples like that. Do I trust that his way is best? And do, do I believe that because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, I'm actually free to do what's best even if it leads to my temporary unhappiness, even if it costs me? Am I free to choose what's best in those moments? So as, as we close with, with a word of prayer, I just want us to think through this because what we believe about sin, how we respond to sin, is a, 
a reflection of what we actually think is true about God. So I just want us to think, like, let's think for a minute about the, the sins that seem to trip us up regularly. What are the things where we're, we're probably pursuing something we think will make us happy that is in conflict with what God has said is best? Would you take a minute and think through that on your own? Just ask the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and to remind you what's true about God. He is good. He is wise. He is just. So we can trust that his way is best. Let's, let's just close with that prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us so that we know what's true about you. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. It's not some big mystery. You, you've made it clear that you are good, that you are wise, and that you are just, that you care about us, and you know what's best for us. But God, the enemy is so good at tripping us up and putting lies in front of us that we buy into that, that cause us to behave in ways that don't reflect your image and bring glory to you. So my prayer, Father, this morning is that you would convict us of the areas in our lives where we've sort of bought into a lie. Remind us of the truth. And God, I pray that we will trust you, that your way is best. And we'll just be obedient and that will lead us into the life of peace and joy that you created us for. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we're we're going to dismiss with uh, just a blessing here in a minute. Would you guys stand up? I just want to say, here, here's the reason why this matters. Because Christians, by their actions, are teaching non-Christians what God is like. You know that? Christians, by their actions, are teaching non-Christians what God is like. So if we have the wrong view of God, we're going to spread that wrong view to people around us. But when we trust that God's way is best, we get to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ. So do that. God bless you. Have a great day.